So we are look, we're in Luke again. We've been going through Luke for a while now, taking breaks, coming back to it. Uh, we looked at it last in the lead up to Easter, I think. And we're back now in Luke 21, getting towards the end of the book, getting towards the end of Jesus's life, getting towards the resurrection. Uh, and in this passage, we're continuing where we left off. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem in the lead up to the Passover festival. And they're at the temple. Uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he often visited the temple. He'd often speak in the temple, in the temple courts. And it was an impressive building, as we found out in the passage today. Ruth and I uh, were in London over the summer. And um, London is somewhere I wouldn't particularly want to live. I used to live there. I wouldn't want to live there now. But Ruth and I have fond memories of London. We met in London. We went to university in London. So we like to visit London and go back to London. There are things to see in London. And we went there. We reminisced a bit. We looked at things. We saw, you know, Trafalgar Square, Buckingham Palace, all those things while we were there. Because we've got memories of those places. And it's good to see them. It's good to visit. And there's so many impressive things to see in London. Over the summer, we've had three different visitations from people we knew in Australia. And uh, every time they've come and they've stayed with us, and we, we've taken Ruth or I or both of us, well, Ruth or both of us, have taken them into Canterbury and show them in Canterbury, because Canterbury is quite impressive. We take them to see the cathedral. We've got a cathedral in Canterbury. Now, they do have cathedrals in Australia, but they don't have cathedrals that are, you know, 1,500 years old. They don't have sort of Roman walls and things like that. So we take them to see uh, the impressive things we've got in Canterbury, all the sites there. There are a lot of people in London looking at all the same things Ruth and I were looking at. When we've been in Canterbury this summer, there have been a lot of people in Canterbury this summer looking at the things we've been looking at. So did Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem, go to the temple to just look at it, to, to uh, see the sights? Is that why Jesus went to the temple? Is that why people went to the temple? Well, not exactly. Uh, people didn't really go to the temple because it was a tourist attraction, especially during Passover. The temple, as I'm sure many of you know, was the heart, the centre of religious life for Israel, not just in Jerusalem, but for the whole nation, for the whole people of Israel. The temple was it. It was the place. It was their spiritual heart. It was where God could be found. It was where God dealt with people's sins. It was where he communicated with the people's representatives. The temple was the place. And it's no wonder that Jesus liked to teach there, I think. It's no wonder that Jesus went there, spent time there. He liked to speak there because it was the right place to speak. It was the right place to teach because it was the heart of Israel's faith. It was crowded with people who were there because they were hoping to make their faith real by being there, by going there. They were hoping to connect with God by visiting the temple. So it's no wonder, in a sense, that that was where Jesus went. That was where Jesus spoke. That was where he taught when he was there. We know 
from reading the Gospels, of course, and not everything Jesus said while he was at the temple was particularly appreciated by particularly the religious authorities, the, the rulers, the teachers of the law. If you remember back to before Easter when we were last in Luke, the previous passage just before this one, Jesus was saying some very hard things about the teachers of the law. Hypocrites, he called them. Those who devour widows' houses. He said some very harsh things. If you remember again when we were last in Luke, just before that, they came to Jesus. They were so upset with the kind of things Jesus was saying in the temple is that the, the teachers of the law and the religious authorities came to Jesus and said, who's giving you the authority to say these things, Jesus? By whose authority are you saying these things? And Jesus sort of turned their question on their head, uh, sort of uh, answered it or by not really answering it and sent them on their way. And the teachers and the rulers, they didn't like what Jesus was saying in the temple courts. They weren't happy, but they didn't do anything. They just let him speak. They let him get on with it. And in fact, one of the things Jesus says when he's arrested, when you find it in Matthew's gospel, is he says to them when they arrest him, every day I was in the temple courts saying, preaching and speaking. You didn't do a thing. You didn't lift a finger. And now here in this garden in the middle of the night, you come to me with armed men, to arrest me. And when Jesus is at his trial, they will bring up some of the things he said in the temple courts as the case for the prosecution, including what we, sort of this, uh, what was referenced today, Jesus talking about the temple being destroyed. This is one of the things they will uh, use against him at his trial. The temple was important to Israel. As I've said, it was important to their history, to their identity, to their faith. It wasn't just somewhere for sightseeing. It wasn't just a tourist attraction. It was the heart of a system that God had put into place where you could come and you would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, where forgiveness was essentially made real, made a very real experience, a very practical experience. That's what the temple was. It was a symbol of the fact that God was passionately committed to knocking down any barriers that would prevent his people from getting close to him. That's what the temple meant. That's what it was. It's supposed to be a place where people could draw close to God, could experience him, could get to know him better, could, could be in his presence. That what it was, that's what it was supposed to be. So the Old Testament prophets had something to say about how the temple was being used. They realized that it was not quite, it wasn't quite what God had intended. That like a lot of good things, it had become twisted, it had become exploited, it had become used for something else, something that had very little to do with God. It sometimes became about people, look at me. Look at the sacrifices I'm bringing. Look how impressive they are. Look how important I am. This is what the temple had become. And the Old Testament prophets often had to say to the people of God, they had to say, you're missing the point. This temple, it is not a tourist attraction. It's not an arena for you to display your righteousness. It is a place for you to come and be humble. It is a place for you to come and experience God. This is something beautiful 
this temple, but you are missing the point. And so here is Jesus in the temple with his disciples. He's been speaking, he's been preaching. And what does Jesus see when he's at the temple? He looks up. That's what we're told in verse 1. Jesus looks up. And what does he see? What catches Jesus' attention? He sees people putting their gifts in the temple treasury. Impressive gifts, abundant gifts. He sees a lot of money going in. But then he notices a woman, a poor widow, the text tells us, putting in a couple of copper coins, a small gift, nothing in comparison to the gifts that have gone before. But Jesus sees it. And he says, to his, he says to those who are listening, he says, she has given more than all the others. Those who had wealth, they gave out of what they could afford to give. But this woman, this poor widow, has given what she could not afford to give. And that makes her gift infinitely more impressive, infinitely more pleasing to God than all the wealth that has come before. You understand Jesus' point, don't you? I don't need to explain or unpack Jesus' point that, that uh, you know, it's the two coins are not uh, objectively worth more than all the wealth that's gone in before, but out of what this widow could give, they're priceless. The widow has a spirit of generosity, if you like. It's not the size of her gift that matters, it's the heart behind it, the willingness to give to God what she couldn't afford. And that is what catches Jesus' attention. That's what he sees. That's what he notices because it's important to God. And Jesus notices it. Standing in the shadow of the temple, this magnificent building, that is what Jesus sees. And then where does the conversation go? Then what happens? You see, one of the problems, I think, sometimes with the fact that we very helpfully have split these stories in the Bible up into verses and chapters so it's easier to find our way around them. I think sometimes one of the disadvantages of this is that we can miss the flow of these stories. They are not sort of individual stories necessarily taking place in isolation. There's a flow, there's a rhythm to them. And what you have here is it's easy to just, you know, we've had the story of the widow and that's where it stops and then we move on to the next story. But if you follow the flow, the rhythm of what's happening, you see something. I think you notice something interesting is that Jesus has just shown them this illustration, this beautiful spirit and the disciples, those closest to him. What do they start talking about? What do they see? What do they notice? Where does the conversation go after Jesus has said, look at that widow, look what she's done. They look at the temple and they start talking about the temple. Hey, Jesus, look at that. It's impressive, isn't it? Look how beautiful it is. Look how amazing it is. It's almost, I think you can almost follow their train of thought. Jesus has said, look at those people giving to the temple in the donation box. And look at that widow. Look at her gift. It's better than any gift that's gone before. And the disciples looking at this immediately, look at the temple. Look at the, the building that these gifts are being given to. And it catches their attention. Immediately. They're not talking about the widow. They're not talking about her gift. They're not talking about her generosity. They're talking about her build, the building. 
the building that she's given to. That's what they see. That's what they notice. Jesus holds something beautiful out to them. And however it lands, they may have taken his point. They may have said, oh, yeah, I get it. I understand. But whatever it said to them, they immediately look away. They don't linger on this thing that Jesus has held out to them. It almost feels like they're not really paying attention to what Jesus is saying. They get distracted. They're no longer thinking about the woman who gave what she couldn't afford. They're no longer seeing what Jesus saw. They are distracted by the impressive nature of what she gave to. A few weeks ago, I was playing a board game with some friends. I like to play board games. I, there are different reasons people play board games. Some people like me, I enjoy the challenge, the intellectual stimulation. Other people enjoy the social aspect of board games. And I was playing this board game and I was concentrating and focusing and f- trying to figure out how I was going to win. And I was tired. It was, it was quite late in the evening and I'd had a tough week and I was really tired. And I was getting a bit frustrated because I was playing with two people who obviously like the social aspect of board games. And I was focused on this game and they were talking. And I was there, it's your turn, come on. I'm waiting. It's your turn. They were talking and they were talking about uh, sleeping and how, you know, whether they were sleeping well. And one of the people, they were talking about dreams. And one of the people was talking about, you know, what, what she thought about dreams, you know, the brain's way of processing things, whether they've happened in the day or not. And I was sitting there looking at this game. And uh, she said to me, uh, James, what do you think about dreams? And I said, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it's the brain's way of processing what's happened in the day. And, and that's what I think. And we moved on and this person took their turn. And then a bit later, I thought, is that really what I think about dreams? Is that all I think about dreams? Now, you probably know as well as I do that the Bible has quite a lot to say about dreams. Lots of examples of men and women dreaming dreams. God speaking through dreams throughout the Bible. Promises from God that he will speak to people through dreams. I know some of you sitting here will have had dreams where God has spoken to you. I myself can think of two occasions in my life where I've had dreams that I can still remember all these years later that have the fingerprints of God all over them. Also, I know from my experience and from my experience with other people that sometimes nightmares can be an aspect of spiritual warfare. can mean something's going on in us that we need to deal with. You see, this is what I really think about dreams. Yeah, a lot of the time it can, you know, meaningless dreams, just the brain processing things, however it works. But that's not all I think about dreams. And when I was asked, what do you think about dreams? I could have said that. I could have said, well, I'll tell you what I think about dreams. I hope you're sitting down. It's going to go on for a while. This is what I think about dreams. Why didn't I say that? I could have said it. The people I game with, they know me. They know I'm a religious weirdo. They know some of the things I think. But I didn't because I was tired and I wasn't paying attention. God held something out to me, and I didn't look up, looking down at this board, trying to win this game. Not willing to give 
what I couldn't afford. As it happens, I did win that game. (laughs) But I'm not sure it was worth it. See, when Ruth and I were looking around London, we saw all kinds of things. We noticed the Houses of Parliament, Big Ben, Nelson's Column, all these things, St. James's Park, Buckingham Palace. We were there with hundreds, thousands of other people looking at these things. What would Jesus have seen had he been with us as we walked through the streets of London? What would he have noticed? If we'd taken Jesus with us when we were showing our friends around Canterbury, what would he have seen? What would be he have noticed? What would have been important to him? Look, Jesus, it's Canterbury Cathedral. It's impressive, isn't it? Amazing. They built that for you. Did you know that, Jesus? They built that for you. Look at the gates. That statue, that's you, Jesus. I know you're not green in real life. They haven't cleaned it yet. They're doing the rest of it. But that's you, that's you. It's impressive, isn't it, Jesus? It's amazing. But what would Jesus have seen? What would he have noticed in the streets there with the poor widows and the homeless people and ordinary men and women trying to get on with their lives? What would Jesus have seen? What would he have said to me? What would he have noticed and said, look, James, forget the cathedral for a moment, look, that, that's what you need to look at. That thing there, that is a more beautiful expression of who God is than a thousand cathedrals. And would I have seen it? Would I have noticed? Or would I have been distracted by the stonework, the spires? I had a friend who introduced me to something he called random mission walks. Okay, they're not rocket science. What you do is you do it by yourself or as a group. You just sit for a while and you just pray and then you go out for a walk, either in pairs or as a group or by yourself. But the whole point of them, the whole point of them and the whole focus of your prayers beforehand is you are praying, God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to notice? And you go on this walk with no agenda doesn't matter if nothing happens. The point is, you are saying, God, what should I be noticing? Maybe there's a conversation waiting to happen. Maybe there's someone you walk and you get the sense, just pray for them. Just pray for them. Pete, who uh, introduced me to this idea, he used to cram his pockets full of sweets or his bag full of books or CDs just so he'd have something to give to people, just to be available if God brought something to his attention. And I was really taken with this idea. I loved it because what I really loved about it was this whole idea of going through life just focused on noticing what God wants you to notice. Living, saying, God, what do you want to bring to my attention? I don't live that way very much anymore. I've noticed that about myself. I won't say I've fallen out of the habit of it because I don't know if I was ever really in the habit of living that way. And I think, like me, a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we go through life distracted. Our attention captured by something other than God. 
Buckingham Palace, Canterbury Cathedral, the temple, whatever. And God is saying, no, look over here. This is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to be like. This is what I want you to notice. This is what I want to say to you. How many things have I missed just because I wasn't paying attention? Jesus noticed what God was doing because he looked up. Jesus, you can never say about Jesus that he walked through life, eyes to the ground, not paying attention. And Jesus says, we'll hear more about this next week. Jesus says, this temple you're so impressed by, it's going to fall, it's going to crumble. Not one brick will be left standing. And this leads to a discussion about, you know, when is this going to happen, Jesus? And uh, the end times, everyone's favorite subject. But we'll get that next week. But maybe if you follow the flow, I wonder if there's almost a rebuke here for the disciples. That Jesus is saying to them, why are you captured by this building? It's not going to last. It's not going to be here forever. But that widow... That act of generosity, of sacrifice, that will last forever. That will stand forever. Because I think that's the real danger of not paying attention to what God is doing. It's that we miss what God is doing. And because we're full of good intentions and energy, we throw ourselves into things that God is not a part of. And we build wonderful things that ultimately aren't going to last I'm going to stand. And we could have built something maybe less impressive, but something eternal. If we'd just been looking. So I wondered, I asked myself, so why, James? Why have you lost that? Or why do you not pay attention? And there's lots of reasons for that, I think. Lots of reasons why... I don't live that way um, because I forget mostly. I forget important things. I forget that I can be confident in the Christ within me. I forget that I can be confident that God is always working. God is always speaking. I just need to listen. I don't need to try hard. And I think I forget what this widow had obviously not forgotten. That when you do pay attention and when you give of yourself something that costs you that you can't afford to give, God notices. God sees even if no one else does. Jesus looks up and he sees you because he sees what God notices. And what you do for God is never forgotten, never overlooked, and will still be standing when Buckingham Palace and Canterbury Cathedral and everything else is just a pile of bricks.